Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my guests today are Nikki Levenstein and Roseanne Sack. And our topic is silence is not acceptance. Today, I received such a beautiful um, quote by someone who had read this, Silence is Not Acceptance, uh, from Les in Australia. Thank you, Les. And this quote says, Some stones are so heavy that only silence helps carry them. This is from Anne Michaels, which is the most beautiful quote. Sitting opposite me, I have two very beautiful women. Thank you so much for coming in. I've spent a bit of time with you. And already, Nikki, I feel a connection. I've known Roseanne for quite a long time, so we are connected. But meeting you has been great, really. So lovely to be here. And thank you for the opportunity again to talk about what's so important for all of us. When did you arrive? You you were here at the beginning of the year in South Africa. You live in Israel. I live in Israel. I've been there for ten and a half years, and I visit frequently. And it's always great to be involved with Kolenu and get the message across. Great. Um, both Roseanne and Nikki have their own stories to tell. Um, we're going to be sticking with a lot of, of, of um, Nikki's story today, but Roseanne will be talking about Kalani because both of them have marched forward through this unbelievable storm towards determination to use their own painful experiences to, as a positive tool to educate parents and children and all of us, grandparents as well, on, on how to handle abuse. Um, abuse in any form, but especially sexual abuse. Nikki, going to back to you. It was how many years ago that you first actually spoke about this? I spoke about this, we began about over five years ago. I had a huge awakening and a moment of realization where I realized that staying silent was more difficult than actually letting my secret out. And I was then fortunately put in touch with an incredible lawyer who did three incredible things for me. He heard my story, he believed me, he thanked me for sharing it with him and he promised that he would help pursue justice. Mm. And that really was the the beginning of what became an incredible cycle that just gathered momentum. And I was able to get people to share their story and ultimately it became something that culminated in a massive court case with a massive victory for us in the constitutional court and for the justice that we'd all sought, you know, on a personal level for so many decades. So that was the outcome ultimately. But what was, what would you say was the tipping point? Because it was, what, how many years later? 35 years later after I'm, abuse? I'm 50 now. The abuse took place with me from the age of seven till I was 12 years old. And then, you know, looking, looking at the research and looking at, you know, sharing stories with, with other people, 
there's definitely a pattern. You have the abuse that takes place as a child. You don't have the capacity to talk about it for many reasons. We weren't educated in the 70s to name the body parts. We didn't have open relationships with adults where we felt that we could come with a story that would be believed. And you don't have the capacity to integrate what has happened and find the verbal skills to express it. And you're also so bogged down with the shame. You know, I think that the important thing that needs to be discussed is the fact that as a victim of child abuse, your body betrays you. Any sexual contact that isn't of a violent nature is pleasurable. So you carry the shame. You feel that you've caused it. You are sworn to secrecy by the person who's the predator. And you have these incredible conflicts that a child of four, five, six, seven, up until, you know, teenagers is unable to really deal with. Mm. And that ambivalence puts you in a place where you hold on to the secret. And the shame builds and the self-destruction builds and the inability to believe in yourself or have the self-esteem that you should be having, that that foundation is crushed from such a young age. And you then, you know, I see with all of us, we, we got into this mode of in order to preserve yourself, addiction becomes very much a part of your life, whether it's a drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addictions. And you then raise your own children. And the moment of realization happened for me. And I then realized that I needed to speak up and set myself free from something that had kept me back for so many years. And did you prepare your children then for actually for you going to be coming out with the story? I did. I did. You know, I think that as a as a victim of sexual abuse, I was always hypervigilant with my kids. It was always something that I educated my children about, and it was always something that they knew had happened to me. I didn't oh, explicitly did. give them the details about it, but I had told them that these kind of things can happen. And uh, when it came to me, you know, going public with it, I did prepare them for it, and it was received really, really well. You know, they've always seen me as a strong woman, somebody to come forward and talk about something that's uncomfortable and been incredibly supportive about it. That's fantastic that they see you in that role of strength. And um, you you said just now that you you were all in it. So how many of you were actually involved in this abuse of cycle or circle? Uh you know, from, I remember there were about, at any given time, there were at least six to eight of us children at any given time that were present when the abuse took place. And I think that, you know, although there was abuse that took place in a personal capacity one-on-one with our abuser, there was also the abuse that took place in in company. And as a child of seven, you were taken up in the fun of it all. You saw that this is what was happening with everybody around you. So there was the conflict inside yourself that you knew that this wasn't right. You know, your, your soul and your heart and your intellect tells you something's not right. And yet everybody was a part of it. So that conflict and mm. that ambivalence is set up, which just further confuses you. Absolutely. And no one to talk to and about nobody it. To talk to. And the actual abuser was someone very no- well known in the community. Wasn't he? And right. and also um, known as a philanthropist. For sure. Uh, you know, and I think the the relationships that we have today with our parents are so different. Um, 
there was always, you know, in the back of your mind, there was always, there was always this thing for me about who was going to believe me. I'm mm-hmm. this little voiceless girl. Who's going to believe me over this incredible man with the social standing and this incredible reputation in the community? So it was very, very difficult. It was impossible to talk up. Mm, it must have been. And as you say, in those days also, you were told how to respond to adults. You know, you, you said uh, in another interview that you did uh, a while ago with another radio station that um, you were told, go and sit, go and kiss so and so, uncle so-and-so, and everyone was uncles and aunties to you, even if they weren't related. And... Um, and you went and did so, go and sit on so-and-so's lap and give them a hug. And exactly. You know, and I think that we were, certainly in South Africa, we were raised as pretty voiceless children. It was very much a concept of children are seen and not heard, and you do as you say. And you followed instructions. Mm-hmm. Good. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. Our topic today is Silence is Not Acceptance. My guests are Nikki Levenstein and Roseanne Sack of, from Kalenu, and we'll be talking about Kalenu. You can SMS us on 34519, or you can WhatsApp us on 61 Nikki, you know, I was actually asked when I put this out on, on Facebook that I was having this program today, when, um, when Roseanne asked me if I would, um, interview you, have you on, on here, I must admit that initially I, uh, I did hesitate. And then I asked myself why, and I realized it is a subject that so many of us are a bit uncomfortable with. It pushes buttons in many of us as well. And then I also then started to look at what it was about you that I wanted to know, and it was the power of that human spirit, which is very much what my program is about. And I thought, how on earth could I possibly have even thought of hesitating when I wanted to hear your story of empowerment? Because that's exactly what you did. You took yourself from a place of pain, and you fought that storm, that raging water, until you found a place of calm. And I think it must have taken incredible courage. Did anybody stand by you as you did it apart from your lawyer? Very much so. I think that, you know, that certainly there were incredible supporters. There were people who were there for me all the way and continue to be supportive. And I think that... uh, you know, for me now, tomorrow, we'll, I'll be working with a lovely, lovely kids at a girls' high school. And what's important for me is to be able to say this is what took place in my youth. We have a choice to decide that that's going to either define us in a positive way or in a negative way. And I made the active, conscious decision to empower myself and to not allow that story to define me negatively. I rather decided what is it that I can do that I can carry forward into the world. What message can I portray? And I've put a beautiful workshop together where I'm going to teach young girls what I wish somebody had taught me when I was that age. And it's all about finding the compassion for yourself. It's all about finding the connectivity and relationships that are good for you. It's about taking the obstacles and the challenges and recognizing that in some way we put our hand up for that and allowing that to define who we become and moving on positively in a world that's beautiful. 
That's that is actually a wonderful thing to to tell children. Now you said girls. Do does this um, do you teach boys as well? We were talking about it earlier, and I think it's an important. It's a, it's a great opportunity to speak about that now. I think that we live in a society where girls are more open and more receptive to hearing things. And just as it was easier for the girls who were sexually abused at my time to come forward and tell their story, there's still an incredible taboo and an incredible stigma around boys talking up about what happened to them. Uh, we're in a society where boys feel that they need to be able to protect themselves, and if they're not able to protect themselves, they're weak, they're seen as no good. And even in the workshops that we conduct over the, that we've conducted over the months, we see that there's far more of a presence of women. We need men to be coming forward. They are so much a part of raising children in society today, and they have to they have to show up. They do. And going to Kalenu, Roseanne, just tell me a bit because you've had your own experience and um, you got involved in also in educating people about abuse. Do you feel that that also changed things for you in the way you actually perceived what had happened to you? Oh, absolutely. Um, what did it do to you? That did it free you a bit? What? What did did it give you a voice? Definitely. I mean, you know, what happened to me was, um, thank God, not as a child. It was as an adult, and it was not from a family member or anybody, you know, close in my family. Thank God, it was a medical professional. So it was somebody you know, in a very trusted place in my world who I trusted my health with and my family's health with. So um, when the realization hit, even though it was not anything violent, it was just very subtle, but it was done under the guise of medical examinations, but that absolute breach of trust and, you know, um, taking advantage of a position, being in a position of power, for me was a big life shock because... I sort of saw the world as good, and I saw most people, almost everybody, as good. Mm-hmm. And you, I never thought there would be sort of, you know, a sinister intention to anything anybody did to me um, or to my family. So it came as a big shock, and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know who to speak to at that point. Um, there was a lot of confusion. Am I imagining it? Is it real? You know, and I think it was only when I realized that there were other victims that I really took a stand here and thought, you know what, I need to have a voice because thank God I had a very strong um, support structure under me, amazing husband, amazing parents, family support that I could just carry on, you know, with the help I needed, but it didn't like sort of, you know, affect my life to the extent that I was non-functional. But there are people out there who don't have that, and it does happen as a child, as an adult, So what did you decide to do to change things for other people? So the first thing was is that when I came to the realization of what had happened is that I didn't know where to go to. So for me, the first thing was to provide a place of support, anonymous, confidential, where victims can come and just, even if it's to bounce an idea off of us, is this okay? Is this not okay? Is this crossing a boundary? Because those were the questions that went through my head for so many months, you know. 
um, for somebody to have the knowledge to say this is not okay mm. and this is where you need to go. And this um, was not your fault. And this was not your fault. And to sort of give you that support and to hold you, you're very often not in a position to make a decision where to go from a legal perspective or from a therapy perspective or, you know, maybe you just want to actually hide in your house and not mm. leave, you know. So And run from the thoughts in your head exactly. that do go round and round and round. Exactly. So to have... A support structure and a group of people who will hold you and get you to the point where you do what you need to do, you know, at, at the right time was for myself, for myself and Wendy Hendler. We started Kolenu. Very, very important. And that's what we started with. We started with providing a helpline. And now what's it grown into that you actually got hold of Nikki to come and lecture with you? So what, why is Nikki here? Wow, so it's really grown. I mean, in five years, we've really moved from the helpline um, to more of education and advocacy around abuse. We have quite a strong voice in the community. Um, we do get a lot of cases that come to us, but at the same time, our passion really lies in education because it's only through the education that you're going to empower children as well as adults and parents to keep themselves and their children safe. You know, you're not going to stop this in the world. And abuse has been happening for many, many, many years. It's not a recent thing. But it just was never spoken about, as Nikki, you know, says that children in those days were taught to be polite, to have respect, to not say no. So we need to change that conversation. And we need to teach children from a young age to understand that they have the right to be safe, that they have the right to say no if they're in an uncomfortable situation, and that it doesn't actually matter who it is. If somebody is doing something to them, if somebody is making them keep a secret, if somebody is making them feel uncomfortable within their bodies, they have a right to say no, and if they, even if they can't say no, they have to tell somebody because that is the only way we are going to start preventing abuse from happening. I think that's so important because um, you know there was one article that you put out I'll mention in a minute. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson only on 101.9 High FM. Hello this is Sue Jackson uh, my SMS is uh, 34519 WhatsApp 061 our topic is silence is not acceptance and uh, my guests are Nikki Levenstein and Roseanne Sack. I just wanted to just uh, say that High FM is many things to many people. It is our, your source of the latest news from the Middle East. It is your platform for learning. High FM is your companion and High FM is your connection to a greater community. For 10 years, Chai FM has brought you award-winning radio, and now we are asking you to partner with us on Lagba Omer. Thursday, the 23rd of May, for the Chai FM Feed Our Fire Radiothon, where you help us to keep bringing you everything that keeps us a great radio station. Call, pledge, challenge. Our call center number is... Zero one zero one four zero four zero nine zero. Hi FM. 
Um, you know, I was just thinking about uh, what you were saying, um, and uh, and what made me also th- uh, think about both of you, the courage to actually talk out when when it was in the community, because so often we try and protect the community. And you know, Kalani put this. Um, uh, story out by Rabbi Abraham Tversky, which starts abuse occurs in a community that tolerates it. And this is very true. So I'm sure you've had quite a lot of flack from different communities actually because you are exposing something that happens in our community and every other community in the world, quite honestly. So was that an issue that you had to deal with, Roseanne? Well, I think I think it happens in any religious community, um, Jewish, non-Jewish, whatever it is. We see it a lot and we hear about it a lot. Yes, we did have flack and we had a lot of people, you know, being very angry that we had decided to go a certain route. Um, <clears throat> on the other hand, I can say mostly support, which was really, you know, amazing for us. <clears throat> Sorry. That's so good to hear because that means that we are a community who are saying let's open this up, expose what's happening and deal with it. I think so. I think, you know, certainly um, it's hard when you come up against the resistance and you it's hard when you have re-traumatization as a victim because that really is um, something really difficult to understand, you know, especially coming from a place of firstly, how could this have happened? And then suddenly... But now I'm the monster. Mm. Now I'm the one who's doing something wrong when all I'm trying to do. And really, for me, it was ever only about protecting people and making sure that nobody has to be affected again. You know, and then suddenly you're lambasted and you, you know. Did um, you find that also, Nikki? I think, you know, you spoke earlier about the resistance you encountered on a personal level about interviewing me. And I think that we all will do anything to prevent ourselves from having uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. Certainly, the progress we've made has been born out of our ability to not only have the uncomfortable conversation, but facing the resistance that's come our way to continue moving forward. And I think that is because we stand so strong in our truth about what happened, and we also recognize that the only way to bring about change in the community and in society is to continue lighting the light in a place where there's so much darkness. And coming up against people who are influential in terms of their power, in terms of their political standing, in terms of their standing in the community, in terms of being religious leaders or medical professionals, it's so easy to be intimidated and to back off. Mm -hmm. And I think that you face that resistance I see with myself in Israel. You know, wanting to talk about this, take it into the schools, speak in, you know, institutions about it. There are groups that are not ready to have the uncomfortable conversation yet. Mm. And I know with myself, I was born into a Jewish community, an affluent northern suburbs Johannesburg community, believing that these social ills don't exist in our community. The truth is that alcoholism, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, Everything that exists in less well-off communities exists in a Jewish community. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to make peace with that reality because we'd all prefer to live in a place where we can pretend that everything's okay. Absolutely. You know, I came from also um, a well-to-do Christian family. 
and um, and I saw it there. And we, uh, my friends, and I spoke about the few people that we knew were going through issues like this. And we decided not to tell our parents because they wouldn't be believed. They wouldn't believe us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one person happened to be um, an elder in the church. And uh, no one would have believed us about him, you know, definitely. When I think back now, um, I think, you know, what only we were allowed at the time because, strangely enough, uh, somebody that he had molested actually ended up committing suicide. And that was something. So with your education programs, that you know, there's the rise of suicide among kids is so high now. It's it's risen uh, against all proportions, and um, I think one of it is first of all social media and abuse on social media and bullying and everything. But I think there's a lot of uh, people are unsettled and it often comes out in emotional abuse in the home and physical abuse and sexual abuse. In different ways, do you agree? Absolutely, and I think that you know when when the youth of today are seeing powerful people around them who are willing to stand up and have the uncomfortable conversation, and not only have the conversation but follow it through to a place where there's resolution and there are answers, and there are programs that are put in place to empower people. We know that we're moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned, oh, sorry, Roseanne, sure. go on. I think also what we're seeing a lot is that the, the the parents are changing. There's a lot of movement towards wanting to be educated and wanting to be aware around this issue, as opposed to burying your head in the sand. You know, so we often give talks to parents, and we find you know the response is amazing. These parents are happy to do the work. They're happy to have the conversation. And I always say, um, you know, just as we teach our kids to look left and right before they cross the road or buckle their seatbelt when they get in the car, you have to teach your kids that this is – they have to internalize this concept mm-hmm. that it's okay to say no and you have to tell somebody. Um, it's just got to be natural. It's got to become natural. And by doing that, you sort of change the whole narrative in the new generation of kids today. Absolutely. I actually must send you a, a song that my friend Judy Erwig wrote with Wendy Fine about you've got to say no, mm-hmm. and it's about anti-bullying, and okay. it was fantastic. But, you know, you were mentioning about um, men having to, boys having to be strong and not look weak. How do you find fathers are actually responding to these when you go into the schools? And do parents' evenings education? So the one thing that is very, very apparent is that it's mostly the women, it's mostly the mothers that show up. Um, Although I did do a talk last week to a group of nursery school parents, and I would say the split was probably 50-50 male and female, which was amazing to see. Mm. But generally we see whenever we've done talks, um, even with Nikki when we've been on our road shows, very, very seldom do the men show up. Um, it's it's a very hard thing for men to hear. And, you know, you deal with the whole aspect of toxic masculinity. As Nikki was saying, men have to protect themselves. They have to protect their families. Mm-hmm. They have to protect their children. And it's just a concept that they, you know, very often it's just hard for them to think about that it could happen. And so I suppose in a way they think it's the mother's job to deal with this and to have the conversation, you know. 
Um, we would like to hear if any men are actually listening to this program. We would really like you to send us a message about what your feelings are. You can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019 or SMS us on 34519. Nikki, on the subject of men, your brother uh, was on board with you That's right. with exposing this. Bringing that's, it forward. That's right. You know, a lot of people have said if this took place in your family, you know, with you being a brother and sister, and there were many other families involved where brothers and sisters were victims of the abuse, uh, it was never something that we spoke about as children, and yet there was this almost unspoken acknowledgement mm. and knowing that... It happened to you and it happened to me. So my brother was also a victim of the sexual abuse and uh, it took quite a lot of convincing for me to get him to to join the action because, you know, I think people get to a place where when they agree to become part of the action, they realize that their, their lives are going to be, you know, out there for everybody to see. And he... Initially, he wasn't in a place where he was happy to have that happen. He's a man active in the business world. He was embarking on a lifelong relationship, and it's not the kind of stuff that people want to bring out into the open. Mm -hmm. And I read about one of, because there were quite a few of you who came forward eventually, and the one man said he came forward when he had his own child. That's correct. What what actually happened there? You know, I think that we able to to bury the the pain and what happens is having children actually brings it all to the surface mm-hmm. and i think you know what what i've seen with the other people who've been part of the action a lot of the emotion and a lot of the trauma is deeply hidden and they the instances where people married into families where there were existing children and that brought up a lot of the pain and a lot of the, the damage. And then having children of your own, I think it, you, you realize the vulnerability of your own child. So it takes you back to that place where you were a vulnerable child and it becomes overwhelming. How do you protect this mm-hmm. child and what do you put in place to ensure that these monsters in your head don't take over and affect your day-to-day functioning? So true. And, you know, you can often blur those lines between yourself and your child. I'm thinking of grief especially. Um, and I remember a, a mother saying to me she had blocked out the fact that she had lost her mother when she was seven, blocked it out of her life. And only when she herself had a, her own daughter was seven did these emotions, overwhelming emotions of grief and pain, betrayal, abandonment all suddenly came flooding in and she didn't know where they were coming from because they had come so unexpectedly. But she was reliving her own pain through the eyes of this vulnerable child. She saw the vulnerability of a child of that age. Absolutely. And I think that anybody who's been a victim of sexual abuse will tell you how they revisit that place of pain and ultimately a place of healing mm-hmm. when you've got the awareness and you've got the consciousness and thank God we're living in a time today where we have access to so much material and it becomes a responsibility on your part to deal with it and to make sense of it so that you can parent in a different way. Do you, I have to agree with you there very much so, but do you believe in a way social media can actually help this because of the anonymity of it? 
that a child can actually put it out there that this is happening and still remain anonymous. I what? think that's the, that's the big question and that's the mm-hmm. big challenge. You know, I think that social media used correctly has got an incredibly powerful potential platform. and platform mm-hmm. and it can also be used for negative. So there's that it's balance. It's a careful mm-hmm. juggling mm-hmm. act. If you actually think, I mean, just thinking about it, if you think back to your own childhood and you, if you were online then, do you think perhaps you would have said anything or been able to say anything? You know, if I, if I think back to myself as a child, I was completely voiceless. So mm. it's so difficult for me to imagine myself mm. being able to express myself on that forum freely. Mm. Mm. When I see what the kids do write to each other now, I do realize that, as you say, there's a danger in it, but there is also a freedom in it mm-hmm. in many ways. Yes, and I think, you know, as we discussed earlier, it's so important for people to tap into the part of them that's able to express themselves, mm-hmm. whether it's through art, whether it's through music, whether it's through writing, speaking, listening. And, uh, you know, I think age gives you the incredible gift of being able to feel the things and name them that we were never able to do as children. I know that Kulainu, so much of the program, which is so brilliant, is teaching children to respond to the signals that their bodies give when something good happens and when something that's not good happens. Mm -hmm. And as children, we never taught to take notice of the signals that our bodies give us when we're in a dangerous position. The things like a mouth drying, a heart beating faster, an accelerated pulse rate, our our tummies going into a tumble. And as we get older, we, we learn, and it's so important to teach our children, that we have this incredible gift of intuition, of our bodies telling us when we're in danger. And learning that those signals are ultimately the mechanisms that enable us to stay safe or to be put into continual danger. The flat or, or the fight. The flat or fight, exactly. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Tell me about your program, um, Roseanne. What, what, have you tapped into many other programs in order to build your own? Yes. So we, um, we've looked at programs from Australia, from Israel, from America, um, and we've really developed a program that is quite South Africa specific to our context but at the same time taking the best of all the programs worldwide. And, and we've also had it looked at by an educational psychologist who's actually really tweaked it and worked with the volunteers and made it very psychologically sound so that it takes into account, you know, so many various aspects of what a child will, would go through um, should they experience abuse and just to empower them to be able to stop that cycle you know, not necessarily maybe prevent something from happening initially, but to be able to do something and have that voice to stop it from going any further, you know. Which uh, is so essential. But how do you actually get a, above the fear factor? Because the fear that of, of putting too much fear into a child. Right. So a lot of the resistance we experience is... Um, schools being scared that we're going to scare the children, the parents being scared that we're going to put things into children's minds that were not there before, um, make a very anxious child more anxious. So the truth is the program is done in a very, very fun, engaging, non-scary way. Um, we don't mention abuse. It's not 
done to be very explicit about, you know, what happens with abuse. It's done more in a way of being a life skills program. So you really are teaching children, and we start from grade R and go through to grade 6. So the little ones, we really teach them how to speak about their feelings, to have the vocabulary um, the words and then to translate that into their bodies and when their bodies tell them that they're in an unsafe situation and then to build up a network of safe adults who they can then go and tell and get the help from um, and that they have the right to say no, that we teach them about their private parts. Um, which and is you really name it, which we never named before, certainly not when I was young. Exactly. So <laughs> our philosophy is that we name the private parts because we know of too many cases where um, they've been thrown out of court because the judge just couldn't understand what the child was trying to say had actually happened to them because they were using funny names for their private mm-hmm. parts. Mm-hmm. And very often the tool of the perpetrator is to give that private part a name. Oh. Um, we've had a story where a little girl kept going to tell her teacher, you know, my father keeps giving me a present in my pocket every night. And she she just didn't have the language to explain what was happening to her. Mm -hmm. And the teacher would say, that's nice. You're a lucky girl. She didn't understand either what was being said. So we really believe that you shouldn't teach your children to name the private parts just as they talk about their eyes and their ears, you know. But it is context-specific, and we will work with any school according to, you know, Their their needs and what they want. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson. My guests today are Nikki Levenstein and Roseanne Sack. And our topic has been on um, silence is not acceptance, and it's on being on sexual abuse. And we're going to be talking a bit more about um, something that, that Nikki discussed with me, but I just want to give you this quote first. When little people are overwhelmed... As big emo- by big emotions, it's our job to share our calm, not join their chaos. That was by someone Nost, K-N-O-S-T. And I think it's a particularly relevant um, uh, quote, quite honestly, because I think so often a parent hears something and they go into a panic mode. Uh, about it and and the child suddenly thinks oh my gosh I better protect my my mother look at her she's going hysterical and uh, instead so that in other words they are joining the child's chaos those chaotic thoughts in the child's head now Nikki you mentioned Abraham Hick just go through about Abraham Hick so I was very blessed to be introduced to the principles of Abraham Hicks about two and a half years ago and I spend time every day listening to lectures and reviewing the wonderful material. Basically, the the concept of Abraham Hicks is that we live in a vibrational universe and that the laws of attraction abound. And in a nutshell, there's a three-step process where we have to ask for the things that we want to receive. Phase two is then to trust that God or source or greater spirit, whatever term you want to use, is going to give that to you, to leave it in that process and trusting that it's going to be dealt with. And phase three, to put yourself into a receptive mode to receive the abundance that you've asked for. And I've seen it work in such beautiful ways in my life. And I think it's an incredible concept to introduce to children. And how do you introduce it to children? 
Uh, do you do this in your workshops? I do it in my workshops, uh, teaching them to create vision boards where they can imagine the way they want their lives to unfold. So setting goals for themselves. So what is a vision board? So a vision board is something which is done in a creative and fun way. Uh, to collect beautiful pictures in a magazine, to collect little phrases, special quotes, photographs, and just to put together a beautiful board that is then put in a place that they can look at every day and to visualize where you want to see yourself a year from today in terms of your, whether it's school or our professional standing as adults, relationships we want to be in, things we want to accomplish in terms of exercise, uh, beautiful things that we want to have, physical and spiritual well-being that we want to accomplish. And it just becomes a beautiful way of looking at that and seeing that through the attention we give to something, it gathers momentum and you learn to play with the universe in the most playful, beautiful way. And how do the children respond to that? I think it empowers them. I think it's so important for children to to realize that Life doesn't impact upon them, but they're so much a part of allowing things to impact upon them. And I think it's just a, a beautiful way of recognizing that from a very young age, you know, as little children, we're able to be part of this fantasy world that gets crushed. And it's about reintroducing that to us, you know, because something can't be seen. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Absolutely. So just I recognizing that there's this whole it's all energy, it's all vibration and learning to teach children to tap into that and bring about the magic that just abounds everywhere. That's beautiful. Actually, as you're saying that, I was thinking about my own vision board that if I was going to be creating it, uh, it was my birthday last week and I, I've gone into another decade and um, I saw that the seasons were changing and I felt sad about the seasons changing, the, the leaves changing. But as you say that, I'm actually thinking, gosh, if it was my board, I would go and get a beautiful autumn-colored leaf and put it on my board, you know, and perhaps frame my board with with the leaves of autumn rather than see it as something falling down that's dead, you know. It's it's actually there. It's just changing. Absolutely. And uh, I think just it's just a, you know, it's, it's such a different world that we live in. I think that, you know, growing up in the education system that was part of my reality as a child is so different to the world that we live in today. There's just infinite opportunities mm. and we have the power within ourselves to create a beautiful life for ourselves despite the obstacles and the challenges and we've all got that. And it becomes about how we choose to describe that and how we choose to put it in context and the choices that we make along the way to either become victims or to become survivors and winners ultimately. Mm, absolutely. I think, you know, just looking at the two of you, you both are so enthusiastic about your, pro- your, your project, which can change so many lives. So you've ca- come from this place of darkness, but you are, have entered a place of light 
and you're bringing so many people into it with you, you know, which which is wonderful to to hear. Because some of the comments that I did have was, oh, this is a dark subject. And I remember when AIDS was at its height in South Africa, and I was asked to give quite a few talks at different schools, and there was a lot of um, opposition to them by parents uh, about this. They didn't want their children to be educated about AIDS because uh, of the sexuality of it, and they felt that it would also be introducing ideas into their heads that they didn't need to hear. And in actual fact, it probably would have saved a lot of lives, of quite honestly. And that's exactly what's happening here with you, exactly. but with yours. With your pro- it projects. is life-saving work. You know, if you look at the statistics, which are quite scary in terms of child sexual abuse, um, it is life-saving work. And if I think, like, if I listen to Nikki and the work she's doing, um, to be able to give that gift to a victim who wants to move out of that space and and move forward and create a different, you know, universe for themselves, it's it's amazing. I mean, Nikki is just a total inspiration to me and. Uh, always just a pleasure to be Thank with you. her you know you know there's another abraham hicks concept where she where they speak about following your bliss and i think that it's it's so important to teach children and adults we need to we need to know what makes us feel good and to pursue the things that are good for us and to be excited about the future and to leave behind the things that are toxic and to move away from relationships that don't feel right and and to surround ourselves with people with who actually enhance our lives. Sure. Mm. It's that, that is very true, quite honestly. Nikki, just going back to um, the, your court case uh, against your abuser, are you allowed to mention his name on air? Yes, we can. Okay, because I see it's called the Frankel 8 Court Win is a victory for all sexual assault survivors. How was it a victory? Because he passed away, didn't he, during it? So yes. you didn't see justice done there. He did. He passed away before we had our, our day in court. And the victory ultimately was the fact that there is no longer a time frame that prescribes. There isn't, there's no longer a time that passes that means that you're not able to pursue criminal charges. Before then, was it 20 years? It was. So it's an incredible victory. We've had a lot of people who've come forward now who've said you've given us the opportunity to now pursue justice. Gosh. And that, you know, ultimately that's that's the victory. That's absolutely amazing. Is that just South Africa? That is South Africa. There's certain countries in the world where it prescribes and there's certain countries where there isn't prescription on sexual offences. Mm. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guests today are Razan Sack and Nikki Levenstein. And the time, as usual, is going so quickly. But I would like to actually go to Roseanne and just find out a bit about uh, how people can get hold of Kalenu if they need them. And perhaps, uh, Nikki, in, we've got a lot of uh, listeners from Israel, so perhaps you also know of uh, associations there that they can get hold of. Okay, let's go to you first, Roseanne. Okay, so Kolenu, um, we have a helpline. What does Kolenu actually mean? It means our voices. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, so our helpline runs uh, Monday to Friday Yeah. Um, from 9 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. We have... Um, Ten ladies who have been trained in abuse who man the helplines, and then Wendy and myself are also um, man at certain times of the day. 
And we're also, Wendy and I take calls all the time. Um, so Wendy we're also Handler available. That Wendy talking Handler. About. So the number for the helpline is 11 264 0341 and um and it's K O L E I N U and we also have a website which is www.kolenusa.co.za and a Facebook page um and an Instagram page as well. So Okay, so if, if you want to hear that number again, just give the number sure. once more slowly. Zero one one two six four zero three four one. Great. Now, going to you, Nikki, in Israel, uh, who could people contact there? So I'll give you a, a number. It's an Israeli number of 054-257-2409. And we have an incredibly efficient police force that takes these any reports really, really seriously and follows up with them. And, um, you know, depending on which city... The report comes from there are different uh, organizations that are referred to, but that is an overall number that we can, you know, then outsource the, wonderful, the correct content. Wonderful to. to hear. We have to end. Craig is showing me that it's the end. I would just like to end with this, this poem about Invictus uh, by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbarred. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Uh, we're going to be ending with a beautiful song uh, called A Safe Place to Land by Sarah Bareilles and John Legend. Thank you so much, and thank you both, Nikki and Roseanne, for thank being you, here Sue. today. Thank you so much.